0: good morning welcome to Sunday morning live welcome if you're watching by replay thank you for joining either time I'm your host Aaron Tomlinson hope everybody's doing well so I've been talking about the supernatural for the last several uh, episodes of this and I've gotten a lot of uh, terrific feedback from people people have reached out to me in the Facebook group in messenger um, People wanting to connect, thank you for being patient with me. I was uh, out for a number of weeks with vacation and then with some sickness that I was dealing with, but I'm all recovered, all better from that. But then there's the catch-up, right? So I spent this last week um, really burning the candle at both ends to catch up. So I know there's a number of you that I've promised I will contact and get back with. So if I haven't gotten back with you or gotten with you, uh, please just be patient with me, and thank you for understanding. Uh, got some people jumping on. Alan jumps on. Uh, Alan says he's loving the new content. Thank you. So am I. Uh, it's closer to my heart and uh, more aligned with my values and who I am. And it's been really, really good for me to embrace this part of myself, to embrace uh, not only the experiences that I've had, but also the principles that... I was able to follow that got me into those and then getting back into exploring those and teaching those without the religious trappings and all that stuff. And hopefully providing explanations for people who may have had experiences similar to mine who may or may not be deconstructing from religion. So in this episode, again, I want to talk about uh, what some have called the latent powers of the soul or latent powers that are within us. And the idea is radically, radically different. If you didn't watch last week's video, I would encourage you to go back and watch it because this one builds on that one. And it really does. The last video that I did last week kind of lays a foundation for what I want to talk about today. And if we don't understand that these abilities that we might call supernatural, whether it be telepathy, whether it be the ability to bring change on the physical plane in things like healings or miracles or just what maybe we would call or would have called answers to prayer back in the day. Um, if we think that those things are going to be caused by our devotion to something outside of ourselves, in other words, a a devotion to God, a devotion to Jesus, a devotion to living a, a pure and holy life, um, According to, you know, whatever that means, (laughs) because holiness, that that would be a good topic for a Sunday just to kind of go back uh, into that deconstruction a little bit. But this idea of holiness, one of the things I noticed when all the holiness groups that I ran in was that holiness um, (laughs) was different depending on which group you were with, (laughs) And so, you know, people say, well, this person lived a perfect, you know, not a perfect life, but they lived a really devoted life. This person prayed every day. This person fasted. This person was, uh, you know, salt of the earth kind of person, dedicated to purity and holiness. Surely if God was going to do something, if God was going to heal someone, it'd be this person, or if God's going to answer someone's prayer, it'd be that person. And that completely misunderstands, completely and totally misses the idea of cause and effect in how change happens from, let's just call it the mental plane for the sake of semantics um, or consciousness, how change is able to occur from consciousness or the mental plane into the physical plane. Uh, and so when people argue and they say, well, uh, you know, there there can't be a God or, the, or the, you know, there can't be... Uh, Supernatural stuff, because, you know, if if why is God answering your prayers and not answering this person's over here? And so both camps are coming at it from a misunderstanding of how cause and effect works in these things, because there is no purity or holiness living that's going to in any way, shape or form, at least in the traditional Christian sense, relate to or correspond with anything taking place that remotely looks like answered prayer. There's no cause or effect or correlation or connection between devotion to um, a God or to, again, something outside of ourselves Because these things happen based on things that are inside of us and how we interact with what the theosophists called the other planes or levels of reality that were in addition to the physical plane of this three-dimensional world. And so I want to talk a little bit more about that, a little bit more about cause and effect and how our consciousness and the quality of our consciousness and our interaction with what has been called in these circles, subtle energies and the ability to work with and manipulate subtle energies and how that interacts with this three-dimensional plane that we can see, hear, taste, touch, smell with our five physical senses or the senses that are dedicated to this realm being the senses that are part of our own three-dimensional material being, which is our bodies. So I want to kind of paint a different picture of how we might think about heaven. So in religion, heaven where the higher realms is considered to be this other place that is completely separated from ours, completely other than ours, and completely dualistic. Christianity, I've talked about this before, has a extreme dualism in it, in that we think about heaven and hell, heaven being a place that's just pure joy, pure light, love, pleasure, um, goodness, God, angels, everybody that inhabits that realm has somehow been sorted out (laughs) holiness isn't an issue because holiness gets resolved when you die and everything is just goodness and love and light and life from that realm and then you have hell you have the realm of darkness you have the realm of demons and devils and that realm is full of just pain and torment and all the beings in there are just completely malevolent and sold out to evil. And so there's no evil evil in heaven, and there's no good in hell. And that's kind of how invisible worlds or dimensions or realms are thought about in traditional religious circles. And that's not just Christianity. That's probably others as well. But you get the point. Now, in Hermeticism, there was a belief that there were higher planes of of reality. And I'm just using higher as a unfortunate word to try to communicate or an unfortunate metaphor because what I want to show is that these aren't higher. These are interpenetrating and interrelated realms that run more parallel to each other or uh, one containing the other. So it's like right here and present. It's just not perceivable. And it's certainly not dualistic in the sense that, One is good and the other is evil or one is better than the other or that these, what we call, again, higher planes or multiple dimensions are somehow, you know, better than this physical plane that we occupy. So the Hermeticists, one of the Hermetic, uh, ancient, ancient Hermetic precepts about the nature of the universe, the nature of the cosmos is uh, the principle of correspondence, I want you to think about that word correspondence, things that correspond. And the maxim goes, as above, so below. As above, so below. So, in other words, if it's as above, so below, when they're saying as above, they're talking about these other planes of existence that are not accessed through the traditional five physical senses, but it's as, it's the same as, or it's like. So, in other words, there's a pattern that exists. There are laws or truths or habits or patterns. I like the word pattern better. There is a pattern that exists in each one of these planes that corresponds with something in the physical plane. So this is a really platonic idea that goes back to Plato, that there are ideas or ideals, and these ideas or ideals on the mental plane correspond, have a correspondence. Their nature may be different, but they have a signature that is the same in each one of the planes and in each one of the levels. And so that's how this cosmology or how this physical realm, physical dimension, Uh, maintains its stability. So then the idea becomes, in order to affect change on the physical plane or to affect change in the plane of materialism or the plane of matter, then there are other causal planes, or if you go into these other dimensions that are extra physical, let's say, for now, then if you can make a change on that level, then, in other words, you change the pattern, then when you change the pattern, it will be reflected. When you change the pattern on the mental plane, let's say, or the plane of consciousness, in a very specific way, then that change will make its way down to the physical plane because the pattern changed in these other realms, The pattern changed in these mental realms, if you will. Again, I I just think mental is an unfortunate term. But at any rate, we have to try to communicate these things. Um, If you make a change on that realm, then the corresponding change will show up in the physical dimension. So you can think about this like any video game that someone may be playing. So any video game, let's say my kids like to play video games. I don't play them that much at all, not at all. Um, but when I used to, and that was back you know in the Nintendo days, kind of date myself here, but uh, maybe you know people are familiar with Mario Brothers. So whether it's Mario Brothers or whether it's GTA or World of Warcraft or something like that, you're playing inside the video game and you're perceiving it as images and movement and there's a correspondence to what you do with the joystick or the controller, And what happens in the game? So if I move the joystick, my avatar in the video game moves. Unless he bumps into a wall or something and then he can't move anymore. And so I'm governed by the laws of the video game. Now, if we go deeper, we understand that, you know, when you're moving your character around. um, Let's take Five Nights at Freddy's. It's a, a movie that's out. Now that's based on video game. Based on the video game of the same, of the same name. And in the video game, you're a security guard. At least this is how my kids have explained it to me. You're a security guard who's trying to survive a whole week being the night watchman at, uh, this pizza place that is haunted. And these ghosts take control of these machine figures, kind of loosely based, I would guess, on something like Chuck E. Cheese or something. And um and it would take over these these machines, and each night it gets progressively harder. So you're walking around inside of this pizza joint, and you have to go through doors or crawl through vents or windows. and if you run into a wall, you're stopped. No matter how much you move the controller or the joystick, you're not going to be able to move any farther, right? But the truth is, there is no avatar that's really there. There is no wall that's really there. Um, this thing's made up of pixels, I guess, or whatever they're made up of now, right? I'm not really an expert on how this works. But I do know that there is a program that generates those images. There's a program that generates that wall. There's a program that generates the the corresponding movement of the joystick and the character. Or if I were to shoot a gun and something comes out of the gun, then uh, I push a button on the controller, and there's a corresponding action uh, that simultaneously happens in the video game. But behind that, there is a computer language. Behind that, there is a programming. Now, if I knew how to get behind the video game itself, instead of just playing it with my joysticks and things like that, if I could get behind it, there would be a computer language. And if I understood the computer language and I knew how to make a change, then where there is a wall... I could go in to the level of the programming, right, and I could rewrite something, I suppose, inside the program, inside the computer language, and once I finish that, if I do it correctly enough, then I could create a door where there was just a wall, or I could create a window, or I could get rid of the wall completely. So now when I come back to play the video game, when I get to that part of the game, There's a door there. There's a window there. In other words, there's no more barrier there, and I can go past the barrier where the barrier doesn't exist, so I have more movement, I have more freedom in the game than other people who are playing the game but don't know how to hack the system. They don't know how to get in and affect change at the level of the programming. Now, I still would have to work within the confines of the rules of the game. I might be able to create a door, a window. I might even be able to create a new character. I might be able to create some new aspects. But the game is still going to be the game. Like, I'm not going to go in there, and if I change too much stuff, right, if I were just able to do anything I wanted and just go in there and – you know, totally hack the system, eventually the game would cease to be the game. It would be something else. It would no longer be Five Nights at Freddy's, and if I wasn't careful, I suppose, then I could blow up and destroy the whole game, and then all the characters and all the avatars and everything that's in there are completely obliterated or it becomes completely something else. So, again, this is more akin, this is a really good way of understanding how these powers operate or how these realms interpenetrate one another, or how these realms correspond to each other, or as above, so below. And so most people, when they think about supernatural phenomenon, what I'm calling supernatural phenomenon, phenomenon that violates the natural order of things, phenomenon that violates the natural order of things, then they really come at it with magical thinking on both sides. Uh we can come at it with magical thinking as a religious person and try to play the video game that way, but we're still in the video game. You see what I'm saying? Um, I can't just sit there and magically think, let a door appear, let a door appear, let a door appear, or give me a gun, give me a gun, give me a gun, and then think because I thought it, it's going to happen. That's what we call magical thinking. And it also means that I can't just go in and operate in any way I want and cause anything to happen that I want to have happen on the natural plane. Um, because, again, if I change too much in the, at the level of the programming, using this video game metaphor, if I change too much at the level of the programming, then I can completely change the entire dynamic of the game, and it would cease to be that game, or it would cease to exist at all, and it would have massive, universal, wide-ranging effects. Now, people who want to discredit and discount supernatural phenomena or paranormal phenomena or extra physical phenomena, people who want to totally discount that come at it with the same... Sort of magical thinking. So they might say someone to me or say something to someone like me who believes in these things. And I say, you know, based on my self reporting that I've experienced these things and not just my self reporting, but other people as well. There were people watching a couple weeks ago when I was talking about some of the phenomena that we experienced that can completely verify a lot of the things, if not all of the things that I said and talked about. So. But but they'll come they'll come you know people that are just skeptics they're just they're 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 uh dogmatic skeptics (laughs) they're just as dogmatic as religious people they just think they're right and religious people are wrong but they're still dogmatic and they're still basing it on their own assumptions and presuppositions about the nature of reality they're they're claiming to know more than they actually know just like a preacher or a priest or religious figure is claiming to know more than they actually know. But they'll say, if you have this power of healing, if you have this power of, you know, um, bringing change on the physical plane, then why don't you just walk into a children's hospital ward and just clean out the children's hospital ward with all the sick people? Well, that's the same kind of magical thinking. Or or why don't you um, make a million dollars manifest out of nowhere? Why don't you get the numbers, the winning numbers to the lottery and stuff like that? Th- that would be to not recognize the very nature of it. That would be to violate the principle of as above, so below. And that would be this kind of magical thinking that says you're an all-powerful genie and you can just change everything. And if any of us did have that actual ability or that actual power, uh, if there weren't limitations to it, then we could go into the video game. And it would cease to be the video game and there would be catastrophic uh, corresponding events that would impact people on a level that is unimaginable. So if we do away with the magical thinking, if but if we come back and say, okay, these phenomena are real, these phenomena are um, reported by many people, millions of people around the world, these phenomena are not just um, mm, happening in our time period or in our lifetime, but there are records of these types of phenomena in every culture that go back to, As far back as we can go in the history of humankind. In fact, there's, if you go back and look, there are, even among, you know, very sophisticated, enlightened, intelligent people like the Egyptians or the Greeks, there was more of this type of phenomenon being reported. In one of my videos, I talked about how the early pioneers of the scientific method, the ones that are the most famous, uh, Paracelsus, Bruno, Galileo, Newton, um, Descartes, these guys, almost all of them, if you were to look at their writings, were magicians, astrologers, alchemists, had belief in some kind of a supreme being, They were hermeticists, so they believed in this idea that there were corresponding realities. And their approach to studying nature was that if we can study nature and the laws of nature, then we can learn about, using our five physical senses, when we learn about this material plane, because of the truth that there are other planes of reality, other dimensions of reality, and as above, so below, then we can understand... These invisible dimensions by understanding the physical dimensions. In Hermeticism, there's also this idea of the microcosm, the big cosmos, and the the macrocosm, the big cosmos, the world at large outside of us, and the microcosm, which is the world of the human being. And so if we can carefully study the macrocosm, we can understand the microcosm. The reverse would also be true. If we can carefully study the microcosm, then we can understand the macrocosm. That was their worldview. That was their philosophical underpinnings. And there were more mechanical scientific materialists who were involved in the scientific revolution, uh, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, the, the scientific revolution, I guess. I'm not sure I got the right word there, but, but you know what I'm saying around the same time as, as let, let's just say Bruno and they were saying, no, the material world, the material plane is all there is. The material plane is all that exists. Well, they actually, the counter argument from the guys that I mentioned who, because they did all of them, the whole group, whether they were materialists or whether they were basically hermeticists. It kind of fell into those two camps. Both were at war with the church, and both had different subtleties in their motivations. But from a socio political perspective, both groups wanted to get rid of, uh, wanted to eradicate the power of the Catholic church and envisioned a new world without that religion. Now, obviously, for the Mac- the mechanical, I'll call them the mechanical scientific materialists, who believe everything is mechanical, everything can be measured, everything can be observed, everything can be understood and studied in this three-dimensional world, and science can answer every question eventually. Um, clearly, they wanted uh, intellectualism and logic and reason and science to take over uh, the direction of humanity and eradicate the power of the church. But people like Bruno... Uh, and I'm mentioning him specifically because he was, I think, burned at the stake at the Inquisition. Uh, but even Newton, Paracelsus for sure, uh, they envisioned a more spiritually enlightened direction for humanity without the church. So they were re-envisioning or reimagining a complete spiritual, scientific, spiritual revolution that would take place where the philosophies really probably of Hermeticism would become foundational to people's thinking and the way that society was organized. So my point in saying that was that these people who uh, were foundational to the scientific uh, revolution, um, they also believed in these paranormal and supernatural Types of phenomena, their worldview did not exclude them. So what I'm saying is, is that I guess what's frustrating for me is that you have a prevailing atmosphere in our culture of scientific materialism that can't do anything and refuses to even have real dialogue around the nature of reality that includes things like telepathic communications, precognitions, uh being able to bring about change in the physical plane with what is you know known in pop culture now as the law of attraction, or working with energies for healing, um to consider that there are other dimensions, other areas or realms. Uh, but they just discount all of these experiences. That that you're just you're just superstitious. You're just not as smart as they are. You just haven't studied as much. They love to quote, you know uh, Christopher Hitchens or um you know Carl Sagan or whoever but and that's fine but all I'm saying is this phenomena is ubiquitous to humanity it's ubiquitous to humanity people that have claimed visions people that have claimed visitations from uh beings from other dimensions people that claim to have spoken with the dead people that again, like I said, have foreseen and foretold the future accurately, uh, telepathic communications, telekinesis, things like this, uh, healings that happen through energy work and consciousness, these things go on um, all around the world in every generation, and they just completely discount them. And unfortunately, that's kind of become the pervasive environment. Now, here's my point. If we take those things seriously, if we do a comparative analysis of them, if we look at them, if we don't assume that every single person in humanity was either deluded or misunderstood or just idiots, then there is no explanation for these kinds of changes, these kinds of phenomenon within the confines of strict scientific materialism. But there are explanations Specifically using the Hermetic pattern, or if we open up and say there are, there are other dimensions and other realms of reality that interpenetrate with us, that are located, that we're sharing time and space with, they're just sharing a, a larger expanse of it in these other dimensions, sharing it with us, right? Then, <clears throat> that makes sense. <laughs> you can make sense of all of it you can make sense of the material plane and you can make sense of these other types of things so if it so let's do it this way if there are these other planes of reality and they correspond with this physical plane and the pattern is contained in all these various different levels and you can change the pattern at a higher causal level and that will reflect the change in the physical dimensions then our five physical senses are something we have to deal with and here's what i mean by that our body our three-dimensional body our material body is geared towards sensing things in this material realm it is not geared towards nor is it meant to be able to see into these other dimensions or these other realms but that does not mean that we don't have access to them that is to again stay within the confines of scientific materialism and say it has to be that this 3D world is all there is. So part of awakening these powers within us, if you will, these abilities within us, is the ability to awaken other states of consciousness, or you might call them your spiritual senses, or your extrasensory perceptions, even though they're not extrasensory in the sense that they are very sensory, they're just not physical physically limited to the physical sensory experience, then the cause and effect part, or getting in behind the video game to hack the video game, requires a radical shift or a radical change in our states of consciousness. And this holds true, again, through any system that I've looked at whether it be a magical system or a spiritual system or shamanism, which is the oldest religion or spiritual practice known to man, all of them are predicated upon shifting your state of consciousness. (laughs) Or awakening these perceptual abilities, shifting your perception to awaken these perceptual abilities to be able to sense things from other dimensions. Now, these dimensions could more than likely are also populated. So when you talk about people who are channeling, they're channeling something from another dimension, and that communication, that link, is occurring telepathically. It's occurring in the mind or in the mental realm. The ability to work, to do magical workings, what we used to call in the church the working of miracles or the gifts of healings, Requires, uh, also, I, yeah, I don't know what to, what to do about that. People can tell me I'm not showing up. It's just, I, I can't change it. I can't fix it. Um, I don't know. Some people on Facebook are seeing me because they're commenting. So I don't know what to do about that. Um, yeah, forgot what I was saying. Anyway. Oh, oh, yeah, shifts and changes in consciousness, right? So learning how to work with that or learning how to work with those states of consciousness is essential to waking these things up. So let me give you an example. I woke up for some reason this morning thinking about the uh, the witch trials. Uh, let's just say like the Salem witch trials and witches being burned at the stake, you know, back in you know, a few centuries ago. Don't have the time frame in front of me. Didn't have time to brush up or remind myself, you know, all the details of it. Uh, and then there's this whole witch lore uh, story, folklore, that is built around Salem. And there were these people that were witches that were practicing witchcraft, and the religious leaders uh, tried to eradicate them or tried to get rid of them. Um, so from my understanding of that, and my understanding is limited, so with the information that I have and knowing that's, limited information, because this might be a controversial statement in, in this group, uh, and I very well could be wrong, so somebody point me to some resources or uh, something to correct me on this. But it, more than likely, most of those people, if any of them, probably none of them, were actually practicing witchcraft. The issue wasn't they were practicing witchcraft and being burned at the stake. The issue is that they were being falsely accused of practicing witchcraft, and being tried and convicted and burned at the stake or whatever, being forced or coerced into making confessions of things that they didn't do. But what did happen and what people may not realize but did happen around the same time period was that you had one of these spiritual movements that took America by storm of spiritism or spiritualism or this is where... Uh, talking with the dead and seances so t- notoriously or famously, depending on your perspective, uh, Abraham Lincoln and his wife would hold seances at uh, at the white House uh, so this was something that was not just you know done in a corner somewhere this this was a movement that swept across America at the time and then you know gained momentum until about the beginning, the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, when stage magicians like Harry Houdini went and disproved a lot of people who were just using it, didn't have authentic gifts, and were using it to fool people and using sleight of hand and illusions allus- to fool people and, and all that stuff, right? We know all about that. But what people don't realize about that movement was that movement was came out of the Quaker movement. Or quietism. So if you're not familiar with quietism or the Quaker movement, uh, then this was a stream that wasn't... They were... I don't want to say part of the Reformation, but they were uh, a group that had broken off, let's just say, from the church. And they were called quietists and they were called Quakers because of their practices. So what they would do is they would spend their time in meetings, they would get together in meetings, they wouldn't be organized or structured, there wouldn't necessarily be like a pastor that would preach or a liturgy that would be read from or hymns that would be sung, they might do those things, but ultimately what they would do is they would get quiet, they would get into a space of meditation, and as they would get quiet together, they would also access energetic fields or energetic currents that would flow through their physical body or affect and impact their physical body that would cause them to shake. So thus they were called Quakers because they were quaking or they were called Quietists because they were quieting, spending time in quiet. And then they would wait for the spirit to move. They would wait for someone to get a, a, have a telepathic encounter, get a word from the Lord, get a sense of direction or to Tap into that current, and the the spirit would start moving, right? Well, they intermingled with some of the natives that were here before Christopher Columbus, and they had their own beliefs in the ancestors and things like that. And so, it's really more complicated than what I could go into. It would be a whole episode to go into it. Um, but out of that, then, was birthed seances and what the Bible might call necromancy mm-hmm. or communications with the dead. Um, Extrasensory communications with entities who said they were once human or ancestors who occupied time and space like we're occupying it now, but then we're occupying a different time and space that was present and around us, mm-hmm. not way up in heaven someplace, but present and around us and then able to communicate with everybody else. Why am I talking about this? Why am I talking about this? Because I want to show the connection between shutting down the physical senses or going into a state of meditation like the Quakers, like the Quietists, who weren't necessarily looking for these things. They weren't necessarily looking for communication with departed spirits or entities. They were... Um, just getting their minds quiet. They were just settling down and getting quiet, right? So this is the first step. This is the first step. The first step is to not, we're not trying to shut down our five physical senses, not in any way, shape, or form, in the sense that I'm saying that we don't use them or we don't pay attention to them or we don't use them for feedback. What I'm saying is is that we free our, consciousness so that we're not so totally preoccupied with what's in the physical realm and what's affecting our five physical senses that we have space for accessing information or perceptions that are other than or extra to or in addition to the information that we're getting from these organs in our body and entering into our minds. Oh, one of the things I wanted to say, I, I got my train of thought got totally messed up, but one of the things I was wanting to say was, um, about the scientific revolution <laughs> was again, those guys I mentioned, just use Bruno for example, um, they would counter the scientific materialist by saying you have ex- no explanation for consciousness. In other words, if your worldview does not include the mind, the intellect, internal experiences, when I say mind, that includes your intellect, your logic, your emotions, your imaginations, your desires, all of it. If, you, if your presupposition does not include that, then you've got a faulty model Of reality, So they were talking about what's known today as the hard problem of consciousness way back then, and we're no closer today from the perspective of scientific materialism to having a model that includes consciousness than we were back then. But this model of reality includes consciousness and says what happens on the conscious plane has a corresponding effect. If you can change the pattern on the conscious plane or realm or level or receive communications from there, then you can change and have effects that will make its way down because of as above, so below, you'll see the corresponding change. Again, going back to the video that I used. So here's my point. This is where it starts, and this is where I'm going to end because I'm just scattered as could be. But I want to give you this nugget. I want to build up to this, that cultivating a life of just spending time, whether you call it meditation, whatever word you use to describe it, spiritual practice, But cultivating a life that frees up space, frees up consciousness and energy from fixation, total fixation on the five physical senses and what's happening out there and all the episodes and things that are going on in your natural life to develop some internal quiet to shut out those senses. And then what you'll notice if you first start meditating is that you'll Maybe you'll put on some headphones, maybe you'll put on some binaural beats, you'll close your eyes, or you'll just get in a quiet space so that you're shutting out. Maybe you'll use, you know, one of those sensory deprivation tanks where you're floating and there's no sound and there's no light. Or you do like Aaron Rodgers and you go on a darkness, a seven-day darkness retreat or whatever it was that he did this last year. Uh, which, say what you want to about Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I'm not a fan by any means, but... um the guy is healing at a miraculous pace uh, from a torn Achilles. So maybe there's something to all that ayahuasca and all that darkness retreats and stuff that he does. But at any rate, getting my focus back. Developing that internal quiet or developing. So what you'll notice is when you first start to meditate, your mind is going to be preoccupied with everything that's happening outside of you. Uh, you're going to be preoccupied with your job. Or maybe it's a relationship Maybe it's a regret over mistakes that you made. Maybe it's a fantasy about a future that you want to have. But predominantly, it's going to involve your life in this physical, plane and physical dimension. And that's showing you how much of your consciousness and how much of your energy is just locked up right here. So in order to operate or awaken these latent abilities, that has to change, and that doesn't change with the decision. That doesn't change overnight. We are habituated so that all of our perceptual energy, all of our consciousness, all of our physical energy is going into this. Slowly, over time, there are more gaps. So here's what I'd say there's more space in between those thoughts. Like I don't know anybody that's practiced meditation <coughs> that has been able to get their mind <coughs> into total silence and total quiet at will for as long as they want. But the the spaces in between the thoughts, the spaces in between the ideas becomes wider. And you begin to focus on the gaps, the spaces in between mentally, more than the thoughts, emotions, imaginations, or feelings that you're having. Now, as you begin to do that, depending on your level of sensitivity, depending on your temperament, depending on your practice, heck, even depending on the day, you can also begin to tap into currents of energy. And so there's these two things that go together. There is the mental side of it, and there's the energetic side of it. So you begin to perceive What they call in theosophy, subtle energies, subtle energies, subtle energy fields, currents of energy. You may begin to, and this is what happened to me, you may begin to encounter imaginal beings who give you wisdom or share things with you. I'm thinking of Carl Jung and his Red Book. If you don't know about the Red Book, um, I should do a whole episode on that. Um, And so the first practice is closing off our physical senses and trying to pay attention to what's going on inside of us. And then the realization that all of our thoughts and ideas and energy and focus is on what's happening on the material plane. Getting free from that, getting space from that, creating space again for other things, other perceptions, contact with other beings or contact with other energy currents. And then, so you have that. The other thing that I would say, so two things, that's the first thing. The second thing is paying attention to the structure of your own consciousness. Um, Gertrudev, the famous Russian mystic, talked about this. Eckhart Tolle in our day talks about this. And it's even made its way quite a bit into um, behavioral therapies uh, or psychotherapy. They call it mindfulness. Being present to the moment. And being present to the moment is being aware, being awake. It's not just being present to what's happening right now. Like me being present to my kids a minute ago starting to fight uh, <laughs> while I'm doing my live, or my mind being distracted because apparently there's something wrong with the streaming that I can't do anything about right now or whatever the case may be, or just reading a comment. I, I get distracted sometimes easily. Sometimes I lock in fo- really focused. Other times I get distracted pretty easily. Um, so not just being present to what's going on in here, but being present to what's going on inside, being able to think about my thinking, being able to observe or witness my thinking, being to understand being able to understand the structure of my thinking. That's what's called a meta level of awareness in psychology, um, <clears throat> or a metacognition to think about my thinking or be aware of my thinking. So that now so so what happens is is that I'm understanding that I have a habitual stream of consciousness that's locked into the three dimensional realm. Therefore, I'm not able to perceive anything from other realms, even though they're there, even though they may be trying to communicate with me, even though those currents of energy are all around us, just like, you know, radio signals or cell phone signals or satellite signals are around us all the time, but we don't know them because we don't have the right equipment to tap into that. So this is the same kind of principle. I'm developing internally the right kind of equipment to tap into those currents of energy, to tap into those, uh, perceptions from invisible entities and invisible places. So I begin to, so meditation begins to give me space and then this other practice of just being present and being awake and observing myself as I'm doing something, observing my thinking, metacognition, thinking about my thinking. Then I realize how habitually my patterns in my life have been structured. I begin to understand my triggers and my emotional charges, these emotional pulls and that kind of thing. So those are the two things that I would share that are absolute prerequisites to getting into, like these are all just preparations for preparing yourself, making yourself a vessel that can begin to explore those higher realms, those inner realms. And when you can see your thinking and you can see that it's habitual and you can see how your unconscious is causing a lot of the chaos in your life because you're making the unconscious conscious, then and only then do you have the ability to work on those things and start transforming those things. And now we're back to the tarot and the magician card because if you look at the magician, he's in the Rider-Waite deck, he's surrounded by a yellow background which symbolizes for them the light power or what they would call the power of God. He's got one hand raised with his wand so he's going up into those higher unseen realms. And yet, he's on the ground. You see the vegetation that's around him. You'd have to look at the card. I don't have one that I can grab that I can show you. But then he's got a table. And on the table, he's got the four suits. He's got a, a pentacle. He's got a uh, three suits because he's got the wand in his hand. He's got a pentacle. He's got a sword. And he's got a cup. So what's the table? What does that represent? It represents the first step of the magician is to transform their own subjective world to transform themselves and their thinking, to transform themselves and their emoting, to transform themselves and their action in the material plane, transforming from within, but with this awareness of higher dimensions and using the wand to bring that down and becoming a vessel and a vehicle for that light power to flow. But ultimately, the magician works on himself. So that's the first step. That's the first, actually, the, the real first card in the major arcana and so these are things that you know are being pointed to in these systems these spiritual systems that are uh, not religious necessarily but more like a spiritual science and so anyway hope that you enjoyed this sorry for all the distractions um but thank you for being gracious with me uh, i can't wait to go back and look at some of the comments um so anyway thanks guys Thanks for watching. I will. Uh, so last week I didn't do a follow up and I'm sorry that I didn't let you guys know. I was in the halftime of the Bronco game. And when, when I remembered, oh, no, I was supposed to do a live. <laughs> so, you know, I'm a Bronco fan. I'll be watching tonight. If you're a Minnesota Viking fan, uh, I feel sorry for you. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but anyway. Um, oh, I just saw a comment from James. He, he says an infinity symbol over his head, if I remember correctly. Yes, exactly. Forgot about the infinity symbol. Um, if you look, if anybody's interested, it, 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 an interesting meditative exercise with the tarot is to take the magician card <clears throat> and then take the devil card and put them side by side and meditate on those cards together and look for uh, the inversions or the similarities um, it's really interesting. That that could be a fruitful meditation for you if you're into the tarot. So anyway, uh, again, thanks for joining me, guys. Thanks for commenting, uh, especially commenting on the YouTube channel. Uh, raises the algorithm. And uh, I look forward to doing more of this. I look forward to uh, creating classes and courses and content next year along these lines um, that will help people who are really interested in seeking a spiritual path that embraces... All that's good about scientific materialism, but is not imprisoned in the philosophy of scientific materialism and is willing to do spiritual science and exploration beyond that. So really look forward to sharing those things with you and uh, have a good rest of your day and evening. Whatever time you're watching this, I hope it's great for you. Thanks, guys.